0: My name is Pastor Brad, and if I haven't met you yet, I look forward to meeting you. If you're a guest this morning, we especially welcome you. It's a great day to be here at Timberlake. Today is Pentecost, and we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the birthday of the church and what God has done in the past, 2,000 years ago, and what God is doing today, right now, in and through us in a, in a little old uh, community like Timberlake, that we can make a difference for God's grace in the world. So thank you for being here. I want to say thanks to my friend Gary Marple, who brought the message last week so me and my family could be away. It was good to get away, and uh, it's good to be back. So thank you for your patience and your grace that you extended to us in that sense. So brothers and sisters, uh, I'm here to remind you this morning that when we became members of the church, when we became members of the body of Christ, we made a commitment, you and I, and the commitment was to not only receive the grace of God but also to share it, to not only hear and listen for the way that Jesus is working in our lives, but also to share that kind of work and transformation in the lives of others. In our membership vows, the pastor asked it like this, according to the grace given to you, will you remain a faithful member of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representative in the world? And then those of us who joined the church, we said, I will. I will. We said, I will. We agreed to represent Jesus in the world. Now, part of my job as the lead pastor of this church is to equip you and empower you to do exactly that, to be sent out from this place every Sunday morning. By the way, that's why this worship service always ends with a benediction and a sending forth. Have you noticed that? We the last thing we always say is, go in peace, go out into the world to make a difference. It's because of this exact thing, this idea, this commitment that we made to share Jesus with the world. And so that is my job is to remind you of that, that we can do that, we must do that, not only with our actions, which seems to come pretty naturally to some of us, but also with our words, also with our words. Now, there's a word we give to that, Cord mentioned it, we usually call it evangelism. And very simply, evangelism means sharing the gospel telling other people about Jesus. Now, I'm curious how you feel about this ministry of evangelism. I'm aware some people love it, maybe others not so much. So we're going to do a little survey this morning. I want you to uh, raise your hand and participate, play along, okay? This is an audience participation moment. So um, if you are a person who just loves evangelism, if you love to get out there and talk to other people about Jesus, raise your hand. Okay, like three people. Okay, two couple in the back, five people. All right. Um, let's, are you, let's say you're indifferent. You know, you could take it or leave it. It doesn't really matter to you either way. Who's, who really is just whatever about it? Okay, all right, good. Thank you for your honesty. Um, how many of you, you just really secretly or maybe not so secretly, you just don't want to do it, you don't like it, maybe you feel a little bit intimidated by it or scared by it or something like that, so you just find yourself usually not doing it? Now, some of you aren't playing this morning. <laughs> Okay, so to be honest, my hand is up on the last one. I feel intimidated by it. And you say, oh, whatever, you're the preacher. You know, it's one thing to get up in front of a group and and to give a message. It's another thing to sit one-on-one with someone and be vulnerable and share your life and share your faith. Talk about Jesus, isn't it? We understand how sometimes how awkward it is to even say the name of Jesus in a public space to someone you're not sure how they're going to receive it when you say it? So a lot of us, I think, feel that way. We feel intimidated or a little little not unsure about how to do that and how to do it well. So that brings me to my next question. How many of you feel really well-prepared, like you can be effective at evangelism, you know what to do, and you're just waiting for the word, you're waiting for someone to point in the right direction? You say, yes, let me at it. I can do it. Raise your hand. Okay, everyone everyone turn around and look. Two people in the back, Pastor Matt and Kevin Knight, I think it is. (laughs) So um, both missionaries, uh, one in Hawaii and one in Japan. Uh, And they've been trained, right? They've been trained for this. And that's, by the way, why we hired Pastor Matt. He's as gifting. And I'm excited to have you hear from him later this month, uh, our new assistant pastor, Matt Lasky. Uh, So how many of you... um, feel less than well-prepared to do this work of evangelism. Okay, that's most of us, right? That's most. Okay, thank you for playing along. I appreciate it very much. Um, So I think that's our reality, is that when it comes to evangelism, you know, when it comes to telling people about Jesus, a lot of us feel intimidated or unprepared and, and inadequate. And I think part of the reason is because most of us have thought that there's really just two choices and these two extremes that we see in terms of evangelism and one is way out over here on this side and these are the zealots these are the people who just go crazy for this stuff they love it they can't get enough and they go to extremes to try to share Jesus that's on the one hand and on the other hand over here the, the other option is avoidance people who just say oh I just I don't really want to do that at all can I just not do it please and so we think that these are the only two options so the the zealous person um, is the person who goes door to door and knocks on your door and you open and they say, excuse me, sir or ma'am, do you have a moment that I could talk with you about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Right? I don't know if anybody's ever come to your door to say that to you, but um, for some of us, that feels just like a little off-putting light or even awkward at least and uh, maybe a little over the top. And we say, well, I don't really want someone to do that to me, so I don't really want to do that to someone else. And the the reality is... uh, we have built up our sales resistance, haven't we? We've learned how to say no to people who come to our door and are trying to pitch us something. And I've got a, a picture for you of a, of a family that was really well-prepared uh, for, for family or someone to come. I don't know if you can read it from where you are. It says, no soliciting. hanging on their door. No soliciting. We are too broke to buy anything. We know who we're voting for. We have found Jesus. Seriously, unless you're selling thin mints, please go away. <laughs> Right, which that would be an awesome evangelism strategy is Girl Scout cookies in one hand and Jesus in the other and just all in one package, right? So but people are ready, like they're ready for you to come to the door and they're ready to tell you no, just just go away. Uh, and, but some people are committed to that model of evangelism and if you're a person who's willing to go door to door and you can be effective with that, God bless you and that is awesome and I, I would encourage you for that and to do it in a grace-filled way Um, Then there's the folks who are even more zealous, even farther on this end of the spectrum. And these are the folks who stand on the street corner, you know, with the bullhorn, and they yell at people about heaven and hell, and they wave signs. You know these people? You know what I'm talking about? You've seen these before, at least in movies, or if not in the big city, or or even in Lynchburg. Um, These are folks who just go way over the top. My sense is that the people of Timberlake, including you, don't really want to choose either of these two ways of of sharing Jesus, going door to door. You don't really want to stand on the street corner. Can I tell you something? Neither do I. I don't really want to do those things either, okay? But that's, that's one extreme. The other extreme is way over here, and this is the approach that most good Methodists choose, and that is avoidance. If I just pretend like I don't know I'm supposed to do that, then, then I just won't have to do that, and maybe the pastor won't ask me to do that, And we, we have all kinds of reasons, don't we? And we tell ourselves, I'm not good at it. You know, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Isn't that what we hire pastors for anyway? That's, that's your job, Pastor Brad, right? We say, oh, I don't know the Bible well enough to be able to quote it to people. I don't have the right personality to talk to people about Jesus. And besides all that, I don't want to offend anyone, right? We all, I think all of us in this room are sort of aware that we do not want to come across in an offensive way. That's, that's part of our culture, and that's not a bad thing. That's a fine thing. But here's the reality you and I need to acknowledge. We are really good at pointing out how problematic this approach is the door-to-door, street-corner yelling approach. We can see the problems with that right off the bat. What we need to acknowledge is this approach is equally problematic because it's not okay to just neglect this segment of our ministry that Jesus has given us, and this is why. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine someone you love, a family member or a friend, standing before God on the Day of Judgment. And God says to that person whom you love very much, the way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ, except you did not believe in Jesus Christ. And God asks the person you love, why not? And that person says, nobody told me. Nobody told me about Jesus. How how can I know unless someone told me? Now, I'll be honest, I hesitate to share that example with you this morning because I'm a little concerned it will induce feelings of guilt, and I really am not here to make you feel guilty this morning. Now, I'm not above trying to make you feel guilty to try to get you to do what God wants you to do. I'm not doing that today, though, because my sense is a lot of us already feel kind of guilty about this, right? Because we promised we would do it, and we know we're supposed to do it, but we don't usually do it. Or maybe if we do, we don't really feel adequate, and we don't feel prepared and effective at doing it. And so my goal is not to make you feel guilty. What I actually like to do is to alleviate your sense of guilt about this and trade the guilt for some tools so that you can be effective so that you might walk out of this series after June, having been here for four Sundays in a row and being equipped and empowered. And you could say, okay, I can do this. Yeah, I I thought before maybe I couldn't or maybe I really didn't want to, but yeah, I can do this. It's not that bad. It's not that scary. It's not that hard. And so the goal for this series, for this series called Share Jesus during the month of June is for us to be equipped and empowered to share the gospel of Jesus in a way that is not likely to offend people, In a way that doesn't require going door to door or standing on the street corner and yelling. In a way that anyone can do it. You don't have to have a seminary education or even be able to memorize scripture verses. In a way that works with any personality and any set of spiritual gifts. And most importantly, in a way that transforms lives with the grace of Jesus Christ. Now doesn't that sound better than these two other extremes that we've talked about? Yeah, it does. So what does this look like? Well, let's dig into the scriptures and see what God's plan is for us to share this story with the world. Let's go back to the days of the church when the church was first founded. And remember, today's Pentecost, we're remembering the founding of the church, the birthday of the church. What I want you to know about that time, that season in the life of the church is the church was growing like crazy. So uh, they they didn't have buildings, but if they did have a building, it would have been Uh, overflowing and they would have had to build a new building and then another one and another one because just so many people were hearing the message of Jesus. They were believing the message of Jesus and they were responding to the message of Jesus so that their lives were being changed and they became part of this movement. They become part of this movement of the people of God. So this goes all the way back to Pentecost and I want to read for you from Acts chapter 2. Um, And just briefly, these quick four verses about what was happening on the day of Pentecost. So maybe you know this story, maybe you've never heard it. Listen to what was happening. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So if you can imagine, they were in worship, they were gathered together like this. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire. Rested on each of them and appeared among them, and a tongue of fire rested on each one. So, imagine we're sitting here, imagine a violent wind from heaven comes in, imagine there's fire on your head and on your brother or sister's head sitting next to you, okay? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So, it, it's maybe hard for us to get our head around exactly what was happening. Um, you know it, it was it was crazy, it was wild, it was unbelievable, but it was real, and it was because of the movement of the holy Spirit so that is the, the day that the church was born, and the day we remember that the disciples were being transformed. You see these disciples were tax collectors and fishermen and outcasts, and just regular men and women, and now, all of a sudden, because of Pentecost. They were stitched together into a community. Once they were not a people, now they are God's people. And so Pentecost has made all the difference. It's made all the difference. So now they have a Lord and a leader, Jesus Christ. Now they have a mission to make disciples. Now they have a spiritual engine to make the mission happen, which is the Holy Spirit. So this is what happens on Pentecost, and I want to back up a little bit with you, and let's look at the context what happened just before the day of Pentecost. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read the first eight verses from Acts chapter 1. So listen to this. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. Okay, so this is the first. Go back to the first verse, please. This is the, the writing in the first person. Uh, who is doing the writing? Do you know? Luke, right. So when he says in the first book, he means the gospel that bears his name. So the author Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And it was originally, we think, perhaps just sort of one uh, narrative altogether, and this is the second book of that narrative. He says, "...until the day when Jesus was taken up to heaven..." after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So do you remember the story of Jesus? He's crucified, he's risen from the dead, and then after appearing to his disciples over 40 days, he ascended and returned to sit at the right hand of God the Father. And so now Luke is reminding us of what was happening during that period. He says, verse 3, After his suffering, he presented himself alive, to his disciples by many convincing proofs remember how Jesus walked through the locked door when the disciples were hiding in the upper room on Easter night remember how Jesus uh, ate fish with them on the beach and asked Peter do you love me do you love me do you love me okay appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God while staying with them he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait there for what For the promise of the Father, this, he said, is what you have heard from me. And this is the promise. Listen. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with who? The Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the promise of Jesus. This is the foreshadowing, the prophecy about Pentecost, which is to come. Jesus is saying, stay here, wait, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. By the way, this is an aside. The next time someone wants to predict the end of the world, point them to this scripture passage where Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has set. So let's not worry about dates and things like that. Let's just let's get our hearts ready. Okay, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, what I want to focus on is this verse 8 with you. So, let's have verse 8 there, and let's unpack this a little bit. Verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So three things I want you to notice about this. First, Jesus says we will be what? Witnesses. We will be witnesses. I love this word witness. So who is a witness? A witness is someone who sees or experiences something, right? So an observer, someone who who can observe something that's happening. But witness is not just a person who sees or experiences, but also a person who then tells others about it. When you call a witness in court, right, all you lawyers out there, and you say, look, call our first witness, that's a person who's going to report something that they observed, right? So a witness is not just an observer, but also a reporter, someone who tells others about what has happened or what they have experienced. So when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, he's saying, you are going to see and experience something incredible. You are going to see and experience something life-changing. You'll be witnesses of it. You'll be right at the center of it. And, And then you will go and tell other people about what you have seen and experienced. You see, Jesus wants us to know we are going to have this amazing encounter with God through the Holy Spirit, but then we're going to go and tell other people about it. Now, here's what I've noticed about us Methodists. We are really good at being witnesses in the first sense, right? We are really good at seeing and experiencing what God is doing. And I bet if I asked you, uh, uh, most, if not all of you could say, yeah, you know what? God has done something incredible in my life. And you can point to that. Right now while I'm talking, you can think and remember about the ways that God has sustained you through difficult times, the ways that God has lifted you up and blessed you and given you amazing gifts we, we can stand in awe of God's mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation and the, God's work of healing in our lives. And that's awesome. We need to be able to call that to mind. But you see, Jesus is not content with us simply knowing that story. He asks us also to tell that story. We need to be witnesses in the sense that we are sharing that story with other people. So we started the sermon talking about an idea of evangelism, and I'm aware that evangelism is a loaded word, right, because it calls to mind the kind of images that we looked at earlier with people going door-to-door or standing on the street corner. So what I would like to propose is that instead of evangelism, we use a word like witness because, number one, that's a word that Jesus has given us. He said, you will be witnesses, And because it's our call and our charge, we are witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have seen the power of God, and now we have to go run and tell it. The second thing I want you to notice from verse 8 is Jesus said, You will be my witnesses, look where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So remember, first he said, Stay in Jerusalem, wait here. And now he's saying, now go, now go into the world. You see, Jesus is not content for you and I to stay in our own little private, comfortable space. Have you noticed that when you get involved with Jesus, he starts pushing you to do things that you didn't want to do? He starts asking you to do things you didn't even think you could do. And that's how God works, right? He makes us uncomfortable, pushes us out of our comfortable spaces. And so that's what Jesus is doing here with with his followers is saying, now you got to go out. You know, I've been with you, but I'm going to leave you the spirit and the spirit will give you what you need to go out into the world. Because Jesus wants us to know we're going to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We're going to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part of God's story. We're part of God's work of salvation. You see, what you and I imagined for ourselves was so much smaller than that, wasn't it? What I wanted to do with my life was so much smaller than what God wanted to do with my life. When I meet with parents who are having their children baptized, I talk with them about this idea. And in our liturgy, uh, we, we say that through our baptism we are, quote, incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. In baptism, see, we become part of this larger story, part of the story of God saving people over time. My friends, the Bible is nothing more and nothing less than the story of God's salvation for God's people over time. And if the Bible were still being written, our names would be included. We say, oh, yeah, in Timberlake Church. Right, We would be in the story. Now, the canon's closed. We're not adding to it anymore. But we become part of this story by our baptism. And the awesome thing is on Pentecost, we're baptized not only with water, but also with who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. This leads to the last thing that I want you to notice about verse 8. You will receive, go back to the beginning of it. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is what Jesus is saying to his followers. Jesus is promising the coming of the Holy Spirit, which happens on Pentecost. You will receive power, he says. Now, power for what? To be witnesses. Power to be witnesses. You see, for so long we have assumed that the power for our witness in the world has come from here. It's come from me. And therefore, our excuses are valid. And we say, well, I don't really feel like it. I'm not good at it. I don't think I'm effective. I I can't really find any opportunities. Because we've been relying on our power to get it done. But Jesus is saying, no, it's not based on your power. And Jesus says, by the way, yeah, you're not really that good at it. But I love you anyway. I love you anyway. And I'm going to make you good at it, not because you're so great, but because the Holy Spirit is going to move in your life. Jesus is promising us the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he is asking us to do, to be witnesses. My friends, every time in the scriptures when there is a command from God, when Jesus asks us to do something, there is always a promise, spoken or unspoken, that he will help us to accomplish it. Jesus never, ever leaves us to our own devices. He always gives us the tool, the ability, the power to do what he's calling us to. To do. And so we are capable then of helping to change lives, not because of who we are, but because of what God is doing. We can participate with God in transforming lives. And you know, and I know, that if you want to change someone's day, sometimes all it takes is a smile, right? And if you want to change someone's week, you might write them a personal note. If you want to change someone's year, Imagine if you forgave someone who did something awful to you. That would change their whole year. But if you want to change someone's life forever, you would bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? That is the subject of our series for June. And the the how is story. Story. Your story. My friends, there is power in your story. And you're saying, who me? Yes, you. My friends, you have a story. You have a story of what God has done in your life. And when you share that with other people, that makes a difference. So that's exactly what we're talking about. That is the way that we are going to be witnesses is by telling our story to to our friends and neighbors and to the people around us. And we're going to talk some more next week about how we can know our story, what it looks like, how to be prepared when we go out into the world. But for now, I want you just to know this, that it doesn't have to be dramatic. It just has to be yours. It just has to be yours, your authentic personal story. Okay? So think about for a minute the the disciples on Pentecost, right? Here they are, fishermen, tax collectors, they're gathered on that day, and they were witnesses because they saw something incredible. They saw God do something amazing. Now, if I ask you, I bet a lot of you would say, "I've, I've seen God do something amazing, right? Now, do you suppose that because of Pentecost, the early disciples, they had the whole Hebrew scriptures memorized? No. Do you suppose that they all became these really engaging, dynamic preachers like Billy Graham who could just wow thousands of people at a time? No, but you know what they had? They had a story. They had a story. They had an experience of God's power in their lives. They were witnesses and they were willing to share their story with others. So it all begins with this story that God has made us a part of God's story and now we have a part of it. We have a part of it. So this week, what I want you to do is to begin to think about what is my story? What is the story that I could tell? How has God been at work in my life? How have I experienced the grace of Jesus Christ? How have I experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit near to me in my life? And we're going to talk some more about that next time. But for now, let me give you this simple opening phrase. Here's how you begin your story. It sounds like this. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Let me tell you what God has done for me. It's simple, right? It's simple. Every person in this room could start a sentence just like that and finish it with your story. Friends, let me tell you what God's done for me. When I was five years old, I had an asthma attack, and I had had asthma my whole life. On this particular day, it was really bad, and I could not breathe. And my mom put me in the back seat of my parents' Monte Carlo, and she drove me as fast as she could to the hospital. And I should have died on that day. But Jesus saved my life. When I was 13 years old, I moved from Ohio to Virginia, and I did not want to move as a middle school student, and I was miserable, and I was miserable to be around, but there was a church that welcomed me and loved me just the way I was, and I was baptized and confirmed in that United Methodist Church, and all of a sudden, now I had purpose to my life, I had meaning, and I had a place to belong. When I was 26 years old, God gave me a beautiful wife, and a few years later, a daughter and then a son. And besides Jesus himself, I count them as the greatest gifts that I have ever received. My friends, let me tell you what God's done for me. I wonder if you'd be willing to go and tell your story for someone else. Tell them what God has done for you. Amen.